Some of you remember my mentor, Dr. Ruckman, was a drummer, and how he loved it. You know how when somebody else loves something, something that you didn't really care about, all of a sudden you can't help but get excited about it because they are, they are? I remember in uh, music, uh, what, what did they call it? Evangelistic song leading. He would get so excited telling us about that, and he'd, he'd take a, a militaristic hymn like that, and he'd point out how he did those five beats, you know, Let's see, how, how did that one start? What's the words on it? A soldier in the army of the king of kings am I. And he'd point out how it had five beats. I mean, he did this a thousand times, man, and to where I'm listening for it every time I hear one of those military tunes, you know. He calls me to his colors, and for him I'll live or die. And I can't help, even these years later, decades later, looking for those five beats in those, <laughs> those military hymns, man. That's great. That gets me going. All right, uh, Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. When somebody just really feels it and they just love it, you can't help but catch a little bit of their enthusiasm. That's one thing that always frustrates me. I came from a day when the Bible believing Baptist churches, you know, a lot of them would have a thousand people in them. Some of them a few That's thousand. True. And uh, I remember the way the music sounded and how loud the choir was and how loud the singing was and everything. And I can't, I can't show that to my kids because it's so rare. You know, that's why I would always take them over here to Cornerstone where they could see the, the enthusiasm and the movement that it was. But it's just, it's just not like it was. And I can't, it's not something I can explain to them with words what was going on. All right, Acts chapter 7, verse, uh, let's see, we'll start in verse 30. This is Stephen's defense and sermon, I guess you might call it, where he's telling the story of the children of Israel, and he's on this part about Moses right here. Acts 7, verse 30, And when forty years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight. And as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled, and durst not behold. Then said the Lord to him, Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. I want to preach tonight why people tremble. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this chance to read and study your word, and I pray, Lord, that you help some things sink down into our hearts, God, and change the way we think and change the way we are as the word of God, working by the spirit of God, changes our mindset and our attitude along with uh, teaching us some facts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to say tonight that spiritual reality should cause trembling. Now, I'm not talking about monetary reality, and I'm not talking about literal physical reality. They're, they're enough to cause some trembling. <clears throat> I promise you there are some people that could break into your house tonight, you take one look at them, and you'd, be, you'd get trembling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, physical can do it, <clears throat> but it is so much more temporal. Jesus said, fear not them which kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Yep. <laughs> now you want to fear somebody, let me tell you who to fear. God. 
Amen. Now don't get me wrong, the devil's, the devil's scary. You read the description of Leviathan in Job 41, I guess it is, and you, you'll learn, under, understand real quick, would not somebody be cast down at the very sight of him? And you see the powers of the devil, they're impressive to a, to a weak little human. But let me tell you about God's power. It varies the devil's power. power. It's not even close. If there's anything in this world you need to fear, it needs to be God. Now, man is always interested in shocking or scary entertainment, aren't we? Going all the way back to the crowds that would watch the gladiators and the lions eat the, eat the people that were, you know, condemned in the Roman government. Uh, to the South American Indian group that played a sport similar to basketball, and whoever lost, all the crowds would chase the team that lost and, you know, brutally kill them. And everybody would love that. They would come out like crazy for that. Even uh, watching a boxing match. You know, you love it when the guy gets knocked out and there's blood all over his face and bruises on him and his face is all puffed out. People just like it when there's something shocking and scary. And uh, How many murder mysteries do people watch? You know, it just scare them to death. People just get into that stuff. Um, public executions. Large crowds used to come to those things. And even in more recent days with talk shows and reality TVs, uh, shows the greatest draws many times is when people had great passions like anger and fear and frustration and rejection and someone is trembling. People will sit and watch that. Men and women alike. When somebody is feeling something strong enough to where they're just trembling in fear or excitement or frustration or rejection, any of these emotions, you, you'll get a crowd. You will get a crowd watching that. So uh, I got looking through the New Testament, and I found where a lot of people got trembling in fear. And I thought I better look up and see what causes this. Because uh, we have a lot of people that are dead to a lot of feeling in our day. One reason nobody ever repents is they don't ever feel anything. And the Bible warns against people getting to a place where they are past feeling. That's what it says. Now, it's good to have some logic and some rational thinking, and I'm all for that. That's a great trait that will help you invent things and build things when you can use some boring, old, logical, rational thinking. But let me tell you something. When there is something that it brings up some strong emotions and some strong feelings inside of you, a lot of times that's more powerful than logic. And one reason people aren't walking aisles is this. They're not feeling anything. Amen. And so I thought it, it's worth looking into what makes people feel something strong enough that they get trembling. All right, now the first one we'll look at here is in Acts chapter 7, and it was Moses... And, of course, we're mainly looking at New Testament things because I'm, we're all in the New Testament days. So uh, I'm looking at this, and even though it's talking about Moses in the Old Testament, it's very much in an overall New Testament context because it's Stephen telling the story of Moses. And it says, Moses trembled. Now, what started this? I've got a sermon I preach on this called, uh, He Turned Aside to See. The Bible says, when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, then he called to him out of the bush. Now, we've got a lot of people that haven't turned aside to see 
one thing out of the Bible or out of spiritual things in years and years and years. Because about the time they might have gotten interested in something spiritual, a ball game came on. And if it wasn't a ball game, it was the new rock song. And if it wasn't the new rock song, it was the new country song. And if it wasn't the new country song, it was the new romance. And if it wasn't the new romance, it was the new lottery. And if it wasn't the new lottery, it was the hurricane that's coming through. And if it wasn't the hurricane, it was the whatever. On and on and on it goes. Uh, Brother Jerry Hooper, a pastor that I used to work for years ago, used to say, you can't do anything for people. They've already done so much and seen so much and had so much and experienced so much. There's nothing you can do to get their attention. He remembers the days when you could put up, what do they call flannel graph board. Remember flannel graph boards? And you'd tell a story and you'd put up these little characters, you know, from the story where the kids could kind of get a picture of what it kind of sort of might have looked like as you told the story. And kids would sit and watch that. Oh, yeah. Now try to do a flannel graph board right now and tell a bunch of kids a story. Oh, buddy. If you keep them for 15 seconds, you'd be doing good. <laughs> there just comes a point, man, you've seen way better than that. It used to be if you gave them a little Kool-Aid and a little cookies and a flannel graph story, you could have 50 kids from the neighborhood, man. Not now. <laughs> Not now. Things have changed. But nevertheless, Moses turned aside to see a bush that was burning. Now, what was going on there? Well, he was out in the wilderness. There wasn't a movie theater right next door. He didn't have a smartphone in his pocket where he could be doing stuff to, looking at stuff to keep him interested. That was the most interesting thing around. I've been out hunting before. And I, you know, you, I'm talking in deer season, you know, when it was fall and there was leaves all over the ground. And all of a sudden I noticed the leaves just kind of sticking up. And then those leaves went down and the ones right beside it stuck up. And those leaves went down and the ones right beside it stuck up. And here came, a, here came something towards me underneath them leaves. And I got looking it was a big old bug. But it was a big old bug that was big enough that it was actually poofing, pooching the leaves up underneath or just over top of it as it was crawling underneath them. I got interested. Well, what an interesting bug that is. I've never seen one like that. And then something else happened over here. And I get looking at all these things, and a deer came up, and I missed the deer for looking at bugs. <laughs> but you know what? You know why I did that? There was nothing else going on. I didn't have anything else to distract me. When we was raising our kids, the ones that's grown, we noticed that we couldn't get them to read as long as TV and cartoons and movies and all that was available. You take that away, we didn't have any trouble getting them to read. Actually, it was the same way with food. If we wanted, to eat, wanted them to eat fruits and vegetables, we couldn't have jello pudding snacks. <laughs> we had to have them all gone, and then they'd eat an apple. I was tickled. Where was I? Oh, I was over at my house, and uh, Dustin and the kids came over for a little while, and Henry came up to me and said, Brother Bob, do you have an apple? I thought, man, it's been years since a kid asked me for an apple. And boy, I went and got him an apple just as quick as I could. People don't ask for apples when they can have all this packaged, sweet, sugary junk that they got out there now. Don't get me wrong, I love it as much as anybody. I will say right now I can preach against it real good because it's December and I'm already sick of it. <laughs> the one time a year I get sick of sweets is right now. You know, Halloween, my birthday, Thanksgiving, and then the whole month of December is a whole big Christmas Eve. By this point, I've had so many brownies and cookies and cakes and candy. I'm sick of it, so I'm, I'm going to really preach against it for about another month. 
But uh, when you don't have anything else available, all of a sudden some pretty good stuff gets interesting to you. You know what the problem is? You got too many things available. You got too many choices. You got too many distractions. You got too many pretty pictures to look at. If I tried to get you to say, hey, there is a cool little bug, I mean, fairly big bug that crawls up under leaves during deer hunting season, I, you'd say, who cares about that? Let me look at this video. <laughs> but if you ain't got nothing else to look at, well, you might be interested in that big, weird-looking bug. And here's what was going on with Moses. There wasn't nothing else to look at. And that, there, that bush was burning, and it never did burn up. And he said, well, I'm going to turn aside to see this great sight. And the Lord said, hey, there's somebody I can get his attention. And he said, Moses. He turned aside to see. And when he heard, he believed the word of the Lord. You know what? If he didn't really think that was true, if he thought, man, I'm just out here hallucinating because I've been alone too long out in this wilderness, he wouldn't have been scared. But the fact he knew he really was hearing a voice that probably was the voice of God, that got his attention. Yeah. He heard and believed the words of the Lord. And therefore, what did he do? He feared God. It says in, at the end of verse 32, Then Moses trembled and durst not behold. It means he dared not look. He was scared. Let me tell you something. We are losing the fear of God. One thing to help you have more fear of God is getting out in nature. And you, you watch a bear eat somebody. That'll teach you some fear of God. <laughs> you get a lion, watch it eat somebody. That'll teach you some fear of God. I've been in zoos where the lion was safely behind a cage. I still didn't want to get real close. <laughs> I had some fear of God in there. I mean, I was afraid maybe as I walked by, my elbow would be go in between them two bars and a lion get a little bite out of my elbow. I mean, I did not want to get too close. Let me tell you about God. He's got some things in nature that will remind you fear him. How about a great white shark? I mean, I know people that have dreams about great white sharks. They're so scared. <laughs> Guess who made those? God. Maybe we need to get out of our heated and cooled uh, rooms and our padded seats and get out in nature a little bit and remember a little fear of God. He feared God. He trembled. Philippians 2 says, Wherefore, my beloved, this is what Paul says to people he loves, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. When you're dealing with God, it is a fearful Thing, it should make you tremble. There is something wrong with our brand of Christianity that has no fear and has no trembling. And if I'm able to get through all these points, you'll see just how bad it is by the last point. 2 Corinthians 5, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Look at that word, terror. That doesn't mean a little nervous. <laughs> no, that's another level. Amen. Why did Moses tremble? Because he feared God. 
All right, let's look at another uh, case of trembling in the New Testament here. Look at Luke chapter 8, same author, same human author between Acts and Luke. Look at Luke chapter 8 and verse 43. Luke 8, 43, and a woman having an issue of blood 12 years. Good night. Can you imagine blood issuing out of your body constantly for 12 years? That's what it means, an issue of blood. Blood was issuing out of her. Which had spent all her living upon physicians. I guess you would. I bet by the time you bled for 12 years straight, I bet you would have spent every dime you had trying to get some help. And had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood stanched. That means a real strong stopping. If somebody is a staunch Republican or a staunch Democrat, we mean you ain't going to be able to talk them out of it. It's strong. And when her blood stopped by the power of the Lord Jesus, it plumb stopped. It wasn't something that, you know, did good for a few minutes. I mean, it was done. It was closed up. Verse 45, And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude thronged thee and pressed thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? Now notice something here. This isn't the sermon, but notice how at home the disciples were with Jesus. They knew him. Even though he was God, and even though Peter got scared to death a few times and said, Depart from me, I'm a wicked man. He was comfortable talking to the Lord. Are you comfortable with the Lord that way? Even though you know his fear, which I'm very much teaching and preaching in this very message, do you spend all day, every day with him to the point that you're comfortable with him and you talk to him like that? Uh, verse 46, And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came, here it is, trembling, and falling down before him, she declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Jesus saw she was scared. He says two things, comfort and peace. <laughs> I'm so glad when the Lord shows up and the angels show up, oftentimes their first words out of their mouth is, Fear not. Because <laughs> I promise you, when I see the Lord, or even if I even see an angel, fear is one of the first things I'm feeling. I am so glad that the Lord does it that way. All right, now she was not hid, number one, due to her issue. It caused bodily weakness. I promise you, if you've been bleeding solid for 12 years, you're anemic. You're weak. Amen. You don't have much strength to you. Uh, besides that, she's a woman. It, it very well may have had something to do with female things, and therefore it was just not socially acceptable, and it was awkward and uncomfortable, and she was used to being in the background, put it that way. She wasn't, you know, front and center. <laughs> she wasn't on the front pew at church. So due to her issue, she was used to being hid and had bodily weakness on top of that, but also due to her faith. Here was somebody that was used to being in the background, but she got up and moved up to the attention of the crowd. The attention of the crowd was on Jesus, and here she was up close enough to touch his, his garment. 
So she got way, what, what do they call it these days? Um, she got out of her comfort zone and got close to Jesus. There's only one reason somebody that was that used to being in the background would come out in such a visible place because she believed it would help her. If you didn't believe it would help you, you wouldn't do that. Uh, in the old days when people would walk an aisle, is because they believed when they got up here and they did business with God, it would actually make a difference. You know why people don't walk an aisle? Because they don't think it will help anybody. <laughs> this woman had some faith, and so she believed deeply. She said in her heart, it says, I don't remember if it says it in this passage, but uh, it says in the other parallel passages, she knew, she thought, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I can be whole. Due to her faith. And I'll tell you something else. She was not hid due to her confession. Jesus wouldn't let her by. I'm sure by this time she was so used to not having the attention of the crowd that she would have been fine with getting healed and then getting out of there without any attention brought to her. But Jesus said, no. <laughs> Who touched me? And everybody denied she still could have got away. Jesus still wouldn't let it happen. Peter even rebuked him a little bit and said, Lord, there's a whole crowd around you. I'm sure 15 people have touched you. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Uh, but he said, no, somebody touched me because I felt virtue go out of me. And I don't know what all that means, but that excites me to even think about it. Amen. There have been times I was witnessing for the Lord and I felt virtue going into somebody. It wasn't coming out of me, but I saw it going into them. I saw the change in their countenance. Oh, it's a blessing. Yeah. But Jesus wouldn't let her get by without bringing some attention to her. In the old days, we would tell people after they got saved to come up in front of the church and make a public profession. Some of the shy ones didn't care for that. But it's a good thing to do that. It's a good thing to publicly stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. I wish Christians today would do a better job of it. But she had a crowd there, and they were all looking. And while she was realizing she wasn't hid, you know what she was doing? Trembling. It scared her. And you know what Jesus did? Comfort and peace. He said, I, I offer you comfort and peace. It will not hurt you to get in a position of trembling, for the Lord Jesus' sake. Because you'll hear, fear not, and you'll get comfort, and you'll get peace. But now let me tell you what will happen if you get in a place of trembling for the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh -oh. You will not hear, fear not, and you will not get comfort nor peace. You're going to have some times of fear and trembling. Take them for Jesus and get the comfort and peace that comes by trembling for him. All right, so the first uh, case of trembling is Moses because he feared the Lord. And second was the woman with the issue of blood because she was not hid. All right, let's turn to Acts chapter 9 and we'll find somebody that's trembling because they were proven wrong. Oh boy, you want to know something that will make you tremble? When you are so sure you're right. And then something happens that proves beyond any doubt you're just flat out dead wrong. Oh, that is scary. That is angering. That is frustrating. That seems unfair. And yet, that's what happens here. All right, Acts chapter 9, verse uh, 3. 
talking about Saul, who later became Paul. I mean, look how sure he's right. It says in verse 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. He knew he was so right that if he has to slaughter people, he's still going to stand where he's standing because it's right. Every now and then some Bible-believing Baptists get real stubborn that way. I don't care. Let the chips fall where they may. I'm going to blah, 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 blah. Well, amen, if the chips fall on you <laughs> and you're willing to take it, then amen. That's, that's like our Baptist forefathers. But what about when I'm just going to slaughter everybody else to prove how right I am? You're, you're probably not on the right side if you're having to take the attitude of slaughtering everybody else. Now, if you're willing to get slaughtered for the truth, amen, I'll give you that one. But that wasn't Saul's case. Verse 2, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, what's he going to do now? <laughs> I mean, here's a light from heaven. It's obviously God saying, I am Jesus, the very one he's been trying to stop the influence of. Verse 6, And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Undoubtedly, this is the moment of Saul's conversion. When he looks at Jesus, knowing he's Jesus, and calls him Lord, I'm guessing he got saved right there. Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. So he is proven wrong here, and he's trembling. I mean, here's somebody whose whole life has been dedicated up to this point to stopping Jesus and in a moment, he goes to calling Jesus Lord and saying, all right, Lord, I'm going to start doing what you say. Amen. That is a unbelievable repentance. That repentance goes up there with any repentance in history, I'm sure. Uh, it's by a supernatural encounter. If you get saved, let me tell you what's happened. A supernatural encounter. Something convinced you of something you can't even see with your eyes or feel with your hands or hear with your ears is real and so real you're scared of hell that you've never seen any literal physical evidence of. Something supernatural has happened. You've had a supernatural encounter with somebody. And it's a direct rebuke. He said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. He said, here I am God telling you and I'm telling you you're offending and opposing me. I mean, it's a direct rebuke. You couldn't be a more direct rebuke than this. And Paul was, or Saul at that time, was so dead set on it, he didn't care if he slaughtered people to prove he was right. Jesus, buddy, turned him around. Let me tell you what God can do. God is big enough and bad enough, not morally, of course, but tough enough, I guess I should say, to turn you around in one second. Or you go right straight to saying, yes, Lord, you're right, Lord. <laughs> when one second earlier, you'd have slaughtered whoever you had to just to get him. 
That's how powerful our God is. The world has their terms for this sort of thing, you know, that back in the old days they said people was a mean motor scooter and a bad go-getter and all that stuff and some other terms I better not use from the pulpit or really anywhere. But they're talking about some people who are tough, man. Let me tell you what. God far outpaces any of them. It's a direct rebuke. And I'll tell you something else. He does it by his own admission. He says, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. He said, Well then, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? I mean, he admits right there he's changed. He's turned around. But the jarring effect of it is he is trembling and astonished. You know when you'll tremble? When you truly fear the Lord. When you realize you're not hid when you're used to being hid. And when you're just proven dead wrong. That'll do it. All right, here's another time you'll tremble. Look at Acts chapter 16. All right, Acts chapter 16, there's the Philippian jailer, and boy, this is a great story. Amen. Acts 16, 25, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. You know what happened? This man came real near death and he saw who had the power of it, of life and death, and he was trembling. And notice he wasn't even trembling when it came time to kill himself. He was trembling when he realized somebody was there that had the power of God. It never says he trembled when he was ready to commit suicide. Here was a man that faced life and death. Life and death didn't scare him like the power of God in Paul and Silas did. When he realized just how real that was, that's when he was trembling. He had a life. He had a career. He was trustworthy. They trusted him with the highest prisoners. He had a family. He was close to his family. He takes Paul and Silas back to his family and makes sure that they all get saved. This was a family man. It was going to be a terrible tragedy for a man of this standing and a man with this much love to lose his life. On top of that, he suddenly became real interested in spiritual matters. Now, he may have already had the, the seed planted of an interest in it, but not like he did here. Uh, there are a lot of people that had the seed planted in the Bible Belt, and they know there's something to this stuff because Grandma and Grandpa were saved, and they go to churches and they know there's something good about it and they know there's something traditional and conservative and it's a blessing about family and just the warm fuzzy feelings you get from all these things but they're not fearing God 
Sometimes something has to happen to the point that you are getting trembling and then you go, okay, wait a minute. I need to quit just thinking it's a pretty good thing and I need to get on board. And that's what happened. He became real interested in spiritual matters and he was sincere. Now, there are a lot of people that if they saw something like this, I will admit they would be interested. But they would be interested in the sense that if Paul came around and told, they would listen. That wasn't what happened with him. It says he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas didn't look him up and say, hey, let us fill you in on what happened tonight. <laughs> no, he called for a light and sprang into them and said, what do I do? You know how you know when God changes somebody? They don't just want an explanation. They want to enlist when somebody just wants an explanation, they're just curious about some details. When somebody wants to enlist, they want to give their life to this cause. And you know what he did? He said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. He said, I'm glad you brought up the house. I want my family in on this. And he takes them right home. Man, that's a good salvation. You heard about a lot of those back when I was a little boy growing up. You don't hear about as many of those now. You don't. I remember the daddy would get saved, and pretty soon the wife would, and pretty soon the kids would, and there would be a whole family in church. I remember that 15 times. I don't remember that often these days. It does happen. Thank God. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. But, man, it just doesn't seem like the power is there like it was. But he came near death. And he got trembling. Oh, good, look, I'm going to make it. Praise the Lord. We're going to get through this. I'm moving through this so quickly. Praise the Lord. I'm proud of myself. All right, Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24. Here's one that you might not think would make you tremble. Acts chapter 24 and verse 24. Here's Paul talking to Felix and his wife, Drusilla. Bible says, and after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might loose him. Wherefore, he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. But after two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. Now, I was talking earlier about how rational thinking and logic and all those sorts of things, reasoning, doesn't necessarily create feelings in you. But here's a case where a guy reasoned with him and he starts trembling. Let me tell you what does that sometimes. We have a lot of people in the United States of America brought up in the public school system and they are sure that they are right. And they are sure that God didn't really create the earth. Evolution is true. And if there is a God, maybe there's some sort of a theistic evolution deal where he just kind of started things and then took his hands off and just let it evolve the rest of the way. Kind of like the Bible correctors think. God gave the originals and then his had his hands off and he leaves it to scholars to preserve it to our day. <laughs> no, that's not the way it happens. God preserves his word. 
And the Word of God is not bound back in thousands of years ago, Greek and Hebrew. He's talking to you today if you'll open up a Bible. Amen. But be that as it may, um, a lot of people think they're so right, and they're sure that, you know, faith has its place, and it inspires us, but it's not really true. Jesus didn't really walk on the water. He didn't really turn water into wine. People don't actually rise from the dead. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, I'm sorry to say, had a Bible where he had cut out all the miracles, and he thought the Bible was tremendous, tremendous resource as long as it was the rational part of it, but not the supernatural stuff, not the miracles. We're enlightened past that now. And I love Thomas Jefferson. A lot of the, a lot of the Baptists love Thomas Jefferson. They, they named, there were Baptists that named their kids Thomas Jefferson, whatever their last name was, because he, he loved freedom and liberty. So I'm, I'm not bashing Jefferson, but I'm saying a lot of highly educated people like to throw out the parts of the Bible that don't seem to go with rationality and reason. But here, Paul is reasoning with Felix, and Felix realizes, uh-oh, what he's saying is true. <laughs> what he's saying adds up. What he's saying makes sense. What he, it takes less faith, you've heard preachers say this, it takes less faith to believe that an all-powerful God created this world than it does that a big bang happened and some molten rock Amen. turned into something that created some little amoeba of a thing that turned into an animal that turned into a human. There's way more logic and reason behind somebody creating something than there is something happening from nothing Amen. without anybody there to do any of it. That, that really doesn't make any sense. You know good and well if you see a 1957 Chrysler, you do not think that an earthquake happened and up came some iron ore from deep down in the earth's crust and just happened to bend itself into the exact shape of a 57 Chrysler. <laughs> and then something else changed and something else happened and just to make exactly... You know that didn't happen. You know some Chrysler plant made that thing. Right. You would be stupid if you truly believed nature just produced it. You know this intricate earth with all these things and all these animals and humans, you know they didn't just happen. And a lot of times people have never even had anybody reason with them along these lines. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now those of you that have sinned, Pretty sure that's all of us. <laughs> Can you think of any better plan than have somebody else take your punishment for you and wash your sins away? Can you think of any way you could go back and undo the effects of all the sins you've committed? Or you can let Jesus and God, the one who is in charge of all these things and the one whose laws we've broken and the one who has the power to forgive us, let him forgive us and just wash it away in his blood. You know that's far and away the most reasonable thing to do if you find yourself guilty. If you're a prisoner and, and guilty of murder and the governor or president or somebody wants to pardon you, you know that's the most reasonable thing to take. You know it is. And so all of a sudden... Felix is having Paul reason with him, and where he was so sure Paul's stuff is superstitious and all this dumb stuff, and all of a sudden, 
by the power of the Holy Spirit convicting his heart and the good reason uh, arguments from Scripture that Paul's given, he realized, oh, wait a minute, he is right. I have been wrong all these years. And reasoning even made a man tremble. What was Paul reasoning about that changed this man's mind so much? Well, number one, righteousness. It says he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Acts 9.22, But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. Let me tell you what Paul did. He did a great job proving things from reasoning with the Scriptures. Paul was a master at that. You know why we, all us Christians, especially you preacher boys, need to know Paul's epistles inside and out? Because that was what he excelled at. If you're going to persuade anybody and you're going to have some power, Paul's the one that the Bible is records in making these arguments. Acts 9.22, Acts 17.2, And Paul, as his manner was, went, into, went in unto them in three Sabbath days, reasoned with them, out of the scriptures. That's what Paul did. And he was good at it. Acts 18.4 And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Acts 18.19 And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Buddy, when the apostle Paul reasoned with you, you might choose to reject it, but it wasn't because you didn't know he was right. You knew he was right. And Felix realized it, and he trembled. Amen. And he said, oh, well, go away for now. He doesn't say, no, you're wrong because of this and this and this. He knew he was right. But he did say, you know, let's put this off. I don't want to make an irrational decision here. I don't want to make a decision while I'm trembling with fear. When it comes to God Almighty, that's exactly when you need to make the, ra the irrational decision, if you want to call it that. It's, it's a reasoned decision. It's a rational decision. But you might think it's irrational because you're fearing at that moment. What if a gunman comes in here in the, in the church and starts shooting a machine gun in here trying to kill us all? I mean, are you really going to be that stupid and go, well, right now I'm all scared because there's a guy shooting at me, but I'm just going to sit real still here and not do anything because I don't want to make a decision while I'm scared. <laughs> no, sometimes while you're scared is exactly when you better make a decision and duck under a pew or run out the back door or something. And if you realize you're under the judgment of God, that's exactly when you do need to make a decision and get out from under it. Reason with him of righteousness. I'll tell you another one. He reasoned with him of temperance. Oh boy, let's talk about this at the holidays. And me so full of sugar cookies, I can't stand up sometimes. Temperance. You know you're spending too much time on that screen. You know you're spending too much time in front of that plate. You know you're spending too much money. You know you're wasting some time. You know there's some stuff you're doing wrong and you're doing it excessively. You know what one thing this scripture ought to do for us? It ought to make us reason of righteousness. It ought to make us reason of temperance. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. 
Christmas season, we can get into the power of some things, can't we? And Thanksgiving and our birthday and Fourth of July and God knows what. All things are lawful for me. All things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me. But I will not be brought under the power. You, you better watch your temperance. You better watch the music you're listening to. I know this is a dirty world and you're going to get a little bit of it on as you go through it. But you don't need to take a bath in it. You don't need Amen. to fill your mind with it. You don't need to fill your hours with it. You don't need to fill your days with it. He reasoned with him of righteousness, temperance, and here's the biggie. Judgment to come. That'll make you tremble. You get thinking about when you get brought out in front of the whole universe and your life replayed in front of all of them and the Lord chew you out right in front of everybody. Yikes. Yeah, that'll make you tremble. Judgment to come. Matthew chapter 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. Hebrews 9, 27. It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. That's when Felix trembled when he reasoned with him of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. All right, one more, and this is the one that's the clincher. I mean, if there's anybody that's scary, it's that devil. It's that dragon. It's those demons. Do they not have some scary power? Does it not spook you to think about the uh, power of the demonic forces and witchcraft and all that sort of thing? They've got some power that ought to scare you because they're, they're a lot stronger than you and I are. But let me tell you who makes them tremble. James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Verse 19. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Now trembling is a real good thing. Fear of God is a good thing. It is a Bible doctrine. It is a necessary step on the road to faith. You will not get saved if you don't fear God. But let me tell you something. Fear of God won't save you. You need to act on that fear of God. Let me tell you about every devil in this universe. They all fear God. Amen. They tremble at His name. They tremble at His appearance. When Jesus showed up and there were thousands of them, they entreated the Lord, don't torment us before the time. <laughs> They're scared of Him. Let me tell you how big and powerful our God is. The devils who are so much more powerful of us than us that they scare us to death, they tremble at our God. Amen. Devilish faith is in the one true God. Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe. If you stop at believing there is a God, well, you've got a lot in common with devils. They'll tell, they'll tell you that much. I'll tell you something else. Devilish faith is sure. They ain't kidding around. They don't think there might be a God. They don't think there is probably a God. 
They know there's a God so sure, they're scared to death and trembling about this God. And I'll tell you one other thing about devilish faith. It includes fear. They believe and tremble. Let me tell you what will make you tremble when you know it. Even devils, because of what they know, they tremble before our God. And one of these days, through some failing or sin of yours, you're going to realize, oh man, I messed up. And this is going to have long-lasting consequences. Now, I want you to live just as straight and clean as you can, but doing your best, you're still going to mess up some. Some of them will be pretty bad. And you're going to realize, oh no, this is going to affect things for years. This is going to affect people maybe for generations. And you're going to realize the mistake and sin and fault and failing that you had. And you're going to tremble. And that's doing the best you can. If you don't care, you're going to make a whole lot more of those types of mistakes and sins. But even trying your best, you're going to have a few of them. And the devils, they've got plenty of them. Amen. And they are scared to death and they're dreading facing the consequences of it one day. And the first thought that came to their mind when they faced Jesus was, are you here to torment us before the time? That is constantly on the forefront of their minds. And there's been many a human that has realized because of some of the sins of their past, it's going to have effects to, for a long time, maybe the rest of my life, and maybe even on my children in generations to come. That is no fun to think about. Don't ask me how I know. But, I'll give you this, it'll make you tremble in front of God. It'll make you fearful. And if you think it won't, let me tell you something. There's a group of beings way more powerful than you, and this thought scares them to death. Amen. You know what'll make you tremble? The knowledge of your future punishments. All right, today we discuss trembling. God's people should fear him. Sinners should fear him. The reasoned arguments of God's word should cause fear. And the devils themselves fear God to the point of trembling. I believe that we lack spiritually because we know almost no fear and trembling anymore. I know when there's been sin in my life and there's been problems that I really should have dealt with and I didn't, I know, I know how I used to deal with them. Here's what I would do. I would think of them, and then I'd just put them out of my mind. <laughs> i say, I don't want to think about that. But let me tell you what happens. The Lord says, all right, who touched me? All right, who did that? And the Lord brings you to the front and shows it all anyway. You know what you should do? Just go ahead and deal with it. Don't put, eventually, it's all going to come out. If... Best case scenario, it's going to come out at the judgment seat of Christ and scare you to death there. And there's a real good chance it's going to come out even before then. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying somebody stand up right now and you know tell everything you've ever done. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I've actually heard of some services where they did that and embarrassing things came out as a mess. That's not what I'm shooting for here tonight, okay? So be clear. I can just imagine somebody saying, well, he's telling me to go ahead and deal with it. Let me just tell you what I've done. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm asking for. But there might be one or two people you might need to deal something with. 
And I guarantee you, you need to deal with it with God. Now that's for sure. I believe we need to know some fear and trembling. And instead of doing like I've often done and just put it out of my mind, I need to go ahead and deal with it, at the very least, with God. We need to go ahead and weep and cry now so that we weep and cry a lot less in the future. Weep and cry with sadness. And then we can weep and cry with joy that the thing's under the blood and done away with frustration or anger because of relationships or money or sex or entertainment but often we don't take these spiritual matters seriously enough to tremble at their reality Isaiah 66 the Lord says this to this man will I look even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word when you read your Bible and I hope you do every day and the Lord brings to mind those things that you've done, and let's just be honest, we all have. Go ahead and deal with them right then. Go ahead, instead of putting it out of your mind, say, okay, Lord, look at me and you deal with this. And uh, I'm sorry, Lord, and I'm wrong, and I'm guilty, and I'm tired of justifying it, and I'm tired of blaming everybody else, and even if they did have a part in it, I had plenty of a part in it myself too. And let's deal with my part of it. I can't help them. Let's go ahead and deal with the part I should have done better right now, just between me and you. Now, he might tell you to go deal with one or two other people, but don't stand up in a crowd of hundreds of people and, tell <laughs> and air all your dirty laundry. I've heard of a few services where they did that, and that's, not, that's probably not the best thing. But there might be one or two people you need to, but you definitely need to do it with God. Even when we tremble in sorrow for our sin, let us not end in sorrow. Rather, let it proceed to repentance, and if necessary, to salvation. But if you're already saved, let it proceed into restored fellowship with the Lord Jesus. That's who we really hurt.